Thanks for joining us on the Talking Leadership TV Best Practice Network podcast series. And I'd like to introduce my co-host, Kevin Bennett, who is the Queensland and New South Wales facilitator for the Best Practice Network. The network has members in Australia, New Zealand and Vietnam, and their guiding mantra of inspire to challenge, support to succeed helps to facilitate a range of activities, events and online forums which are aimed to connect like-minded organisations to fast-track their performance through shared learning, expertise, experience and resources. The Best Practice Network is focused on improving knowledge of best practice and developing leadership capability is at the core of what it delivers to its members. Kevin's had operational leadership roles across multiple sectors and industries He has a passion for continuous improvement and lifelong learning with a focus on developing capabilities of the many teams he's worked with. I'd now like to turn to our guest for today's podcast. Dr. Stephen Morse is the founder and CEO of Unchained Solutions Proprietary Limited, a Sydney-based consultancy that equips Australian organisations to comply with the Australian Modern Slavery Act 2018. Stephen has over 25 years of experience in entrepreneurial leadership in the not-for-profit and private sectors, both in Australia and overseas. He's a seasoned public speaker, thought leader and strategist and brings his perspective to the fight against modern slavery and related human rights violations and their implications on supply chains. He obtained his doctorate in human trafficking intervention through the Fuller Theological Seminary in 2016 and an MBA in entrepreneurship through the University of Technology Sydney in 2020. He currently serves on the advisory board of the Freedom Business Alliance the Ethics Committee of the Australasian Supply Chain Institute and the Communications Working Group of the Commonwealth 8.7 Network. This podcast focused on modern slavery and implications for leadership. Thanks for joining us again, but enough from me. I'll hand over to our guest, Stephen, and my co-host, Kevin. Hello, and welcome to this Talking Leadership Best Practice Network uh, podcast. So really glad to, uh, and I think we're going to tackle a great topic today, something slightly different, but we're still going to tie it back into the elements of leadership, values, behaviours, and roles across uh, across industries, especially around Australia, New Zealand. So welcome back to my co-host, Eric. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? No, no, very good. Looking forward to this one, Eric. I think we'll have uh, some great links back to our previous podcast. And Stephen, hello, Stephen. We we are looking forward to today. We've met a few times. So uh, how are you and, and are you ready for today? Yeah, Kevin, I'm doing well. It's uh, it's it's towards the end of the week, as always. Thursday is probably one of the hardest days, but, uh, you know, we're almost there. But no, I enjoy every day and, uh, yeah, looking forward to yeah, talking with you this morning uh, about a critical issue, which is very close to my heart, something I've been focused on for such a long time and uh, looking forward to seeing how it it grows and, and the momentum builds over, over the next few years. Yeah, no, fantastic. So let's get into that then, Stephen. So um, so I've, I'll, I'll capture it as modern slavery um, and especially I want to be able to get a feel out for the context and I know you've got a lot of passion for it, so which would be fantastic for us. But like I say, what we then want to do is explore what it means from a leadership perspective. So if you could just give us a, a, just a brief overview at the minute, just a, just put some context around um, what it is, what you're seeing and just some of the key challenges at the moment. Sure. Well, I uh, yeah, I pitch myself as a contemporary expert uh, on the impact of modern slavery on Australian businesses. Uh, that term modern slavery uh, has been uh, used a lot, uh, particularly in the Australian context uh, and in the region, and really points to a human rights violation 
that's impacting more than 50 million people, according to our recent estimates by the Global Slavery Index. Uh, what slavery is, well, in an acute form, it's really the, the removal or the severe restriction of a person's movement or their voice or their choice. The lack of agency is really a very key dynamic in the concept of modern slavery. It's, a, it's very difficult to pinpoint uh, cases of modern slavery and modern slavery, uh, according to some, sits on a continuum. And so it's like a, in terms of the, the, the spectrum of work and free work uh, and, and enterprise agreements, uh, slavery sits really at the extreme end of workplace exploitation uh, and uh, it infects, uh, infects, uh, sorry, affects people in different ways. Uh, one of the largest categories of slavery has to do with forced labor uh, though, which means people working in factories or on farms or in fisheries. Okay, so in terms of um, where we our context of Australia, New Zealand, as we are with, of course, obviously the, the best practice network, um, is, is it something that's uh, is something that's been recent, or is it just um, something that's always been in the sectors? And you you called up a couple of sectors there. Um, so is it something we've we've been we've been dealing with for quite a while? Um, and what's driven the what's driven the interest or the higher focus at the moment? Yeah, well, slavery has been with, with us for a very, 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 very long time, and even in the Australian context since uh, since the establishment of colonies and and this nation. So uh, I don't have the, all the figures with me, but uh, those, uh, for example, Indigenous Australians, uh, people living in the islands who have come to this country to help build this country, many of them have been impacted uh, by modern slavery, and there have been many slave owners uh, operating in this country uh, through the development of Australia. So it's been with us for a long time. The question is, how much have we actually been dealing with it? And that really, the question then has, has returned to recent years. So in terms of actually having hard legislation such as uh, anti-slavery legislation, and we have two in Australia, we have a, a Commonwealth legislation called the Modern Slavery Act, and we have a one for New South Wales, because uh, we like to be special in New South Wales, um, called uh, the Modern Slavery Act as well, of the same title, uh, but they have slightly different focus uh, areas. Um, the Commonwealth is the biggest focus is really around uh, business, the corp, uh, addressing the issues around private, the private sector uh, and, and, and not-for-profit organisations, as well as some government entities at the Commonwealth level. The state one for New South Wales targets mainly state-owned entities and departments and local government areas and uh, has uh, a big focus on providing care services pathways for assistance for those who are impacted in this state. So just in terms of business then uh, under those acts is for, so if I'm, if I'm a business leader, you know, a senior business director or, or board go, is in terms of what some of the obligations that I have uh, from a leadership perspective or obligations or expectations around knowledge and awareness. There's a lot that needs to be done uh, at both the, the board and, and the governance level, um, particularly when we come to the, we look at the Commonwealth Act. So it uh, does target and focuses on organizations that generate more than 100 million in annual consolidated revenue. Uh, what this really means then, um, there's a, the, the Act has a reporting mechanism and companies, uh, if we think about it, companies need to provide a statement on, on, a, on an annual basis, reporting in on what they've done to first of all, identify risks, uh, second of all, what they've done to address those risks, and third of all, how they're measuring the impact of those two activities. Uh, all that ties back to uh, the, the governing representative, those who are authorized 
just uh, um, uh, to represent the company in a legal and a judicial sense. Uh, and so it's it really from the top, whether it's directors, senior executives, board directors, they need to actually be on top of this issue. They need to uh, be uh, those who are actually setting the agenda, setting the goals, uh, providing the, the executive sponsorship, uh, the investment that's required to actually do the work, do the due diligence work and actually allocate resources and make sure that their organization has the right capabilities to actually do uh, the due diligence in this space. I have a, a question, Kevin, if I may. Stephen, thank you yep. for the introduction, mate. Um, when you mentioned that 100 million figure at the Commonwealth level, is that for an individual business or for an industry in total? That's an industry, that's a business. So oh, any, that, any, okay. That's a business. So if you're a business, you're an organization, uh, and that's and you're you're at that level or above, um, and we're looking at you know over four thousand, five thousand companies in Australia um, that uh, would be in that category. Then you are obligated under the Commonwealth Act to report in to the Australian Border Force with a statement, uh, comprehensive statement detailing and addressing certain key criteria on what you're doing to identify, address, and measure the impact. Um, how this impacts uh, smaller businesses? Well, this is where the market um, uh, the market dynamics come in. And so whilst the Act does target the big end of town, uh, there is a knock-on effect through the market, and we have seen that. So we do have smaller entities that are under that threshold who are voluntarily opting in, and there's provision for them to do so. Um, but we're also seeing, because uh, of the way of business works. So there are many organizations, companies within Australia who are in the B2B supply chain space. Uh, and this is where the this is where the rub is. So it becomes the business case. So if you want to therefore tender for business with a large organization that is reporting in, uh, part of their reporting criteria is they need to assess risk throughout their supply chain. Uh, you are probably in the direct line of that if you're in the Australian context, and therefore you might be required to self-report, like a self-assessment questionnaire. You might be required to develop some policies around human rights or ethical sourcing, for example, or a code of conduct. Uh, you might uh, need to put in some training, awareness training for your organisation. Uh, you might, and this is uh, this trend has been developing over the last four years since the legislation was in place, you might now need to start collaborating with your corporate client to do just with them as, as a key component of their, of their supply chain um, mm -hmm. and actually assist them to drill down um, through the supply chain and identify, help them to identify risks beyond the shores of Australia. So that, that dynamic, um, whilst you're not mandated in a legal sense uh there's very much a, a, a business case uh for actually uh a, i suppose align the best word is alignment um and we're going to see that at the new south wales level so whilst the new south wales act targets government entities you've got to think that new south wales procurement is a 34 billion dollar spend yeah wow it's the largest in australia uh so if you want to do business with new south wales entities then you're going to have to step up uh, in the tender process and demonstrate that you're doing something to address this issue. So this is where the rub hits. What is the obligations on government to source imports from countries where slave labour is a key issue? And I'm thinking here, a lot of the imported food that we get comes from nations where 
and I won't mention any nations here, but that have questionable human rights mm-hmm. practices. And why would smaller businesses be wanting to engage here if they see government flouting conventions around slave, um, modern slavery, where we're being asked to um, uh, scan our supply chains and be careful who we deal with? Like what? So if it's good enough for industry, why isn't it good enough? Uh, for government, particularly in a competitive space, I'm I'm outside of looking sure. in here asking that question. Yeah, well, it's not well, it's not good enough for government. So if you think about, uh, you know, both at the Commonwealth level, there are um, com- 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 Commonwealth uh, entities that have uh, their own reporting mechanism uh, to comply with the Commonwealth Act. At the state level for New South Wales, the the, the actual uh, focus on supply chains is on government. So government has to actually step up um, first. Um, uh, in, at least in the state of New South Wales at this stage, uh, to actually make, ensure that the goods and services that they're procuring are not um, are free from from slavery. So this is it very much is coming from from government, uh, and to and flow throughs to the private sector. Great. So a question I've got for you. There's a few things going around in my head at the minute, and I suppose it's it's about how things all start to come together. So has the has the focus on the environmental with the ESGs and all this type of thing, has that been a help or a hindrance in terms of leaders? Because that's quite demanding at the minute, you know, in terms of especially as you would know some of the some of some of the reporting. So in, in your view for, for leaders in the business, if they're looking at the environmental and you know, I went to a talk the other day, you know, and they talked about no one being left behind and there's all these goals and targets globally. So is, is it a natural fit into that environmental sustainability pathway, which includes these ethical supply chains? Um, and and how is that is that helping and or, or support, hindering the discussions you're having with leaders? Because sometimes it can take over and go, no, I've got to do this thing. I've just got to do this. But so how's how's how's. How's that impacting? Is it helping or hindering? And 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 how are you beginning to align leadership teams in to say this is actually an important part of doing business now? Well, I think it should be helping, but it may be hindering. So let's let's go with that uh, with that argument. So I think you know if you are actually in the process of of uh, mapping out your suppliers, uh, identifying where key risks might be, uh, issues particularly you know in a in the area of environment, for example, you're you're trying to capture carbon, your carbon footprint, uh, work out uh, energy questions around uh, the use of energy uh, the ma- and the management of that of that energy in terms of waste management or water management, for example, that should actually fit in with other impact areas. Um, and so as you're as you're doing that that side of the due diligence, there's no reason why you can't therefore integrate um, other uh, due diligence um, uh, work. For example, you might in that process then, you know, bring in questions around diversity, equity, inclusion, gender equality, um, Indigenous procurement, uh, yeah. attention to human rights. So I think part of the confusion at the moment is that we do have quite a, a, a growing beast. And I don't I don't want to use that word too, too strong is kind of my word, but it's the ESG beast, right? And yeah. and this this is this is ESG reporting is 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 massive, um, yep. and 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 includes comprises quite a number of very difficult, complex um, uh, issues, and so that can be that can really bring the overwhelm for for business. Mm. Uh, how do I how do I prioritize? 
how do I actually do this, which is going to cost me a lot when I'm also being asked to do this? And how can I work out how to integrate them um, so that it's not this um, siloed dynamic and I'm and and it's not integrated? So that's that's part of the challenge, I think. And then how does this all tie in with my business as usual? Um, because I've actually got a business to run. And uh, and that's really one of the key complaints is like, this seems to be, I'm being pulled in a direction that's actually going to cost me. And I can't really see the clear the clear business case um, for for doing this work. Um, and, and it's pulling me away from really the, the, my overall business purpose and strategy and the work that we actually do um, uh, as, a, as an organization. So that the challenge there is to work out how can we, integrate and develop the right strategy and the goals to actually integrate those those key um, criteria or impact area criteria into the to business as usual that's a key challenge in leadership we're going to come back to the question of leadership because i think yep. this is where we're going to this is where we're heading yep. um, how does this impact leadership it's really about working at how to make sustainability if in the if in a broad category something which is no longer the exception um, but actually something which is very much integrated, very much part of the DNA of how we do business. Yeah. Uh, this is where we need to get to. We need to get to a place where attending to uh, the environment, climate change, human rights, due diligence, this is all just part of business. This is not something which is now, which is just an exception. This is something which is just very much part of the, the very culture of who we are as, as, as a company. Um, and we have clear targets and we have goals and we're working towards those goals. So that, and, and we know how to measure uh, that the work that we're doing. Um, and they might start out very, very small. Um, because one, what, what, <laughs> Sorry, Kevin, one follow-up no, question, on, Stephen. Um, sorry, I, I should stop to give you an opportunity to ask No, questions. no, no, that's okay. <laughs> it, 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 this is part of the discussion, uh, Stephen, so all good. Um, ESG reporting, my understanding is that at the moment it's voluntary, but in the future there may be moves to make it mandatory. Now, in a voluntary context, this the pitch that you're talking about is a lot more difficult, but once it becomes mandatory, I think the outcry to harmonise how reporting is done in this context and what Kevin's talking about is critical because the the... the uh, and I can see this writ large, the pushback that will come is how long do businesses really need to spend on this level of reporting and what does it mean for their bottom line? Because the inadvertent issue here is do you need to then set up the bigger the business is, a whole unit to make sure that you're reporting in the right way, whereas um, potentially an opportunity, Kevin, um, is to set up automated systems to be able to report to make sure that it's not impact impacting on how you can report and I'm thinking here smaller end of town not yep. bigger end of town because your bigger corporates will have this embedded in what they do because they're going to have shareholders screaming out what does this look like for us what's the reporting look like so um just an observation Kevin I, I yeah th this gets complicated and I understand now why so thank you for that explanation mate. <laughs> that's, that's a, well I, I think I think it's interesting because I think um and again I'll be interested this is so we, we, we've definitely related about the strategy, you know, in terms of thinking about especially where your business wants to be, you know, in 5, 10, 15, 20 years time. This is one of those you've called it a beast, but this is one of those I think is, is going to come. It's going to come and sooner or later. You, and, and the problem is going to be if we don't start to put it on the agenda, you find out when it's too late. When someone phones up and says, did you know, by the way, that 
X or X or Y. Um, the other thing I, I want to just, so there's a couple of things I want to support. So we're definitely tying this back to the, we've got to start to having it on the radar. So the, the way I see maybe a help at the minute is the fact if you're already looking at something like the environmental stuff, you can start to just add a couple of questions maybe. So you're already doing your due diligence. You're already starting to ask the questions. It's just about as a, as a leadership, you've got to come up. And there's two elements I'm I'm thinking of here. One I'm also hearing, especially from the the environmental, is our, yes, we've got to wait for our corporate or our shareholders, but there's a lot of pressure coming up from employees now in the community. You know, there, there's becoming an expectation about what are you doing? You know, are you sustainable in about in what you're doing? And I think there's there's as this awareness grows this could be something that and we all know the skill labor people labor at the minute you know this could be something that people are looking for and going i want to work for a company that's got this awareness or you know if you it, so you know i think there's a bit of a bit of a thing we need to start to think about this actually could be a strategy to recruit people you know there's there's a little bit of way exactly. that yeah. the, the, the other thing i'm, I'm thinking is is I had a session the other day and um and what they were saying was, is that when, when organizations start to struggle with you, you can obviously get this, what they call the greenwashing, which mm -hmm. is the false claims. So I don't know what your terminology would be that, but they also shared, they also shared another term called the green hushing, okay. where basically people just don't want to share, you know, it's about, if I don't talk about it, I don't have to worry about it. Therefore, you know, I don't have to put, put, put it on, 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 the, on the agenda. And I think this is part of the leadership challenge at the mm -hmm. minute because it's easier to do nothing mm -hmm. or say, I've got other priorities here. Yep. But as a leadership team, if it's, if it's something, and again, part of it is, is really about pulling out that it is relevant to us indirectly or directly, what's the sort of leadership things about getting it on the agenda and not being frightened to ask the question? Yeah. Um, can I can I make a, a one observation, Kevin? I think the the fear, uh, and I've and I've seen this in some of the sectors that I've worked in, is around reputational risk um, when you're talking about this stuff. So if you're underreporting or not reporting properly, what does it mean for you? And if you're sourcing, let's say, uh, and Stephen, you talked about your supply chain and and understanding what that looks like. Say you support you you. Um, fix a supply chain from businesses xyz and they're not crash hot on reporting but they're the cheapest way for you to get your product out does it mean you're going to get pressure on your business to go with other suppliers that are more expensive because they meet the certain ticks that they need of approval from regulatory agencies and this um, i can see the negativity coming quite quickly because from a business context you need to grow your business but um try and source the best uh, priced materials where you can, keeping these other things in mind. And so I, I can see that tension potentially there and why this is going to be an issue, not just a bottom line issue, but then the reputational risk that comes with it. And some businesses will genuinely not know what they need to do or mm -hmm. should be doing. And so the education bit is the the bit that fascinates me. It says, how do you, one, tell people what they don't know? And two, how do you get them to adopt and see the what is the final business case that can be made to adopt some of the things that you're talking about outside of just common humanity and wanting not to screw people over. I, I get that bit. But from a, a cold, hard business perspective, how do you build the business case going the other way? In terms of reputation, where am I going to find myself or where do I want to be in order to maintain my license to operate? 
you know, Kevin, you talked about the pressure coming um, upwards uh, from employees. So there's that whole question around the the employer value proposition. Mm. It's no longer the case that I need to um, look, consider the value of, of, of my employees. I need to actually have value to my employees uh, you know, if I'm going to keep them. The business case then is obvious. Uh, you know, recruitment and, and human resource management is an expensive uh, area. So you can save money simply by um you know in integrating the perspective of your employees uh and re retaining them is actually going to is a cost saving uh, to your organization um the in, i'm yeah i'm sort of trying to think through how do i best uh, uh think about the other the other questions that you've uh, put towards me um but i think you know in terms of coming back to that point of leadership it's really about you know working out first of all where do I start? Well, you're gonna you're gonna have to start with who who do who is it that you want to do business with, um, and what is it that they want from you? Yep. Um, yep. Because uh, you know, coming back to the whole um, question around ESG reporting, and yes, there's at this moment there's there's a, a voluntary dynamic to it. Um, we haven't quite arrived at a, a place. Whilst there is various um, frameworks uh, globally uh, to kind of set the, the standards at this stage. Corporate, all the corporate clients that you have will have their own standards. Uh, and they're all learning as well. Um, they're all trying to work out according to what, say, the ASX, uh, ASX wants um, in terms for them to re remain um, in that context as well. So everyone is in a learning in learning space and trying to work out what is it that we actually care about and how do we actually manage the, the multiplication of, of concerns when, on the one hand, operationally for example i've got people in my team i need to be very much concerned about diversity it could be inclusion accessibility gender equality um domestically in australia i need to start considering around you know indigenous companies and where i'm procuring from and then it, more internationally because that's where most of the risks are i need to think through actually how my products are being made that i'm bringing into the country uh and overall overarching all, all that what is the overall um environmental footprint um of of that uh that enterprise so i think yeah there's put there's pressure um upstream and downstream um and coming back to it uh this is a question for leadership of actually setting some very clear targets uh wherever you are in your business um you know if you're at a startup level if you're an sme is to actually be able to take some time with your team to step back and actually take in a sense be proactive in setting your own um, targets uh, for yourself and and coming up with a strategy to actually meet those targets um, because you are going to be pushed and pulled uh, in a number of directions uh, and so you don't want to be yes in that so you don't want to be in the hushing dynamic because that's that's not going to lead to business viability in the future and you also need to be very careful about greenwashing because uh, there's a big clamp down on on that as well but that's mainly at the big end of the town. I don't yeah. know if that answers all the questions that were raised in the last five minutes, but I'm happy to continue the conversation. Oh, no, that's okay. And then this is this is why we love doing this because we, uh, <laughs> we we have a plan, but we don't, you know, that that plan can move across to do with it. But I think there's also there's also potential upside here because if you start to ask the questions and you actually find out the 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 outcome could actually be a lot better than what you think. Yes. So, you know, you could have things in place that you didn't realize, you know, that you could be working with suppliers or customers that are actually heavily into this. Um, and 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 it could 
sometimes just by having questions and being on the agenda of a leadership could help you secure an or secure an order or be be more respected in the network. So there's always this upside here about you know, and this is this leadership bit. You've almost got to be a little bit brave, inquisitive to 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 start to open open the agenda. But you know, I think it's it's also part of the other um conversation we were having and having across the network and some other groups is we just got to start asking some simple questions because you start to read you know the acts you spit and you start to read some of the and you go this is just overpowering it's just too much it's mm -hmm. too complicated mm -hmm. you know um and so the session we had talking you know around some of the environmental stuff it was just basically just start to ask some basic questions you know how do we do this how do we ensure you know and and just just start to get the conversation going you know so you know one of them was about you know just just ask your team and i've got an example here is is how do we support inclusion diversity and connect with our communities just leave it as a question and then allow your team to go well we do this we do that we do that and almost the compliance bit comes afterwards when yes. you've got the information um yeah, yeah. And, and i think this is what i you know in terms of from a leadership perspective is is complicated let's start to make simple let's start to have the conversation um at least then it starts to to get it on on, on the the agenda and almost don't yeah. be too worried about well, i think so if, if if you're just if you're trying to just operate from gosh what do i need to do to be in alignment and comply then that will you will burn out yeah. Um, in that, if 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 it's about if you're actually starting from a more interpersonal relational approach, um, and a more con uh, collaborative consultation process, per a person-based approach or a stakeholder-based approach, then you have an opportunity to generate the culture to cultivate the culture for change and actually work out where the real drivers are for that change. There are look, you know, I've um, you know, we've uh, been very successful uh, recently in uh, getting B Corp certification. Um, yeah. Um, uh, which is a, a, a global um, standard. Um, it took us 15 months uh, to, to, get, to get this goal. But one of the benefits of doing, say, the, the B Corp um, uh, assessment work, um, you can actually do the assessment without going on and, and, and uh, applying to be certified and going through that process. Yeah. But actually, given because it's got the key impact areas around governance, your uh, workers, your community, your environment, um, it's got all these impact areas with all those questions is actually that could be a very good that's a very good tool whoever you are as a business to actually start thinking through well what are the key questions that we need to be asking yep. um in order to meet certain targets or to, to um, make a particular impact it could that it could be just a vehicle within a within a team context a leadership context to start thinking through okay we're going to focus on um, this, let's have a look at the governance structure of our organization. Um, what are the key things that uh, the big end of town are going to be looking for uh, from us um, as an organization? And what could we start working on and allocate some resources to to actually step up? And that could be maybe having a, a much more robust ethical policy portfolio, for example. Um, yep. And we can start building that um, over time so that uh, we're ready. So when someone says, where's your human rights policy? Where's your policy on diversity, equity, inclusion? Where's your code of conduct? Well, we have that in place um, and we've been building that. And there's lots of tools to, to get those kind of things in place. Yep. Kevin, you mentioned um, uh, the interaction of business and keeping the question simple to start with. I 
I would hazard a guess here that um, we already are compliant with a lot of regulations at the state and federal level anyway that would get some tick-offs here that need to be considered. So when you're looking at, at, at a business level, how you recruit, what are your recruitment policies, what are the policies that are already in place? And and thank you for reminding me of this, Stephen, but I guess that I've had previously, not that we've done a joint podcast on Kevin, but we'll get to that at one point is with uh, Jonathan Mamerall from a legal perspective, what are the things that you've got in policy in place in your business that if you had a legal concern that you can go back and say, well, I've got, got these things already codified in my business, that won't be um, true of all businesses, but at least some are already starting to go down that track, already have them in place. So I think things like checklists of what have you got and what don't you have to paint the picture is, I think, a very easy step to go forward, Kevin, without having to worry, worry about whether you're not compliant. Where that, I think, to end my point here, to where that will get difficult is in five to 10 years, if it does become mandatory under state and federal legislation, the kickback will get significant if you don't know how to do that basic stuff first or you haven't bothered to look. And that, in some senses, um, and I, I won't speak for all leaders, but it could be seen as a failure of leadership because you didn't want to have that question, but um, didn't want to have that discussion, sorry. But right now, maybe it's not on people's radar. And so to say that you didn't want to have it is maybe disingenuous because we don't know that we need to be having that particular level of conversation. So yeah, this is more complicated than I initially um, thought going into this. So if you'll excuse my questions and and no, I'm going with some of this, Stephen, because it, it opens up a lot of questions. This is probably the my takeaway theme and we're not even yep. finished the podcast. Well, I'm very, happy, I'm very happy to be an activator. So I like to activate sure. conversations and then, <laughs> then other people will have the conversation. Yeah, so. well, you've, you've done that, mate. So <laughs> I'll get back to Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, again, I just want to reinforce on that. And um, I, again, I, a bit like myself, you can go well. But I, I think, as you said, Stephen, I think you've covered up Eric as well. A lot, a lot of this, it isn't always about creating something new here, you know, in terms of it, it's it's developing and expanding some of the questions. So like you say, you know, we already, you know, what's our procurement policy, you know, so the chances are we've got a procurement policy. It's about what, just what some simple things that we can just start to ask now. You know, um, you know, recruitment policy, or you know, what, what. So I think it's 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 getting that, and whether there is a framework like you say with the B Corp that just gives you those type of questions, hmm. then you know, even if you're small, you still got some idea about this is what I'd like to do, you know, and some of the values and and babe. So I think for, you know, from a leadership team, is about sometimes we just got to keep it simple, we just got to keep it going, but start to have the conversation. But the key I want to out here is about. We go back to the leadership now, but they've got to be starting to have the conversations and that can be where it's challenging. So if you've got a leadership team, you know, a couple of managers or or larger in the corporates is what some of the leadership as a leadership team, what sort of the values, behaviors and skills that they got to have? Because this can be quite a, you know, when you're not discussing something for the first time, it's a little bit challenging. Mm-hmm. Um and and I suppose if the back of your head you go I don't know the answer that's challenging as well, um, or you ask the question, and you already know oh I think we've got a problem here because already you go oh now you've asked the question you're right to deal with it so when when you're 
when you're working with leadership teams, you know, what's some of the things that, what's some of the things that you're finding because the maturity of the leadership team to be able to have these type of discussions is going to be critical. Otherwise it just becomes a don't do it. It's a compliance thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any experiences there, good and bad about where you've worked with teams who have just been able to start to get that conversation going? Yeah. I mean, the best, I think good practice here is where um, good practice is where a leader of an organization, say that's the the chief executive or of a director is really being out to identify key people within the organization and expand the the conversation. I mean, just coming back to the you know the employee value proposition, um, this is this is a great opportunity to actually engage your younger workforce uh, members um, who are in the conversation, who are um, very much this is part of on their on their agenda. So harness, work out how you can actually bring them into the conversation. Um, you know, this that's part of the connecting with you know Gen Y, Gen Zs um, is that they want to be heard. Um, this is part of, uh, they want to be part of the conversation. They want to be part of the decision-making. So this is a very, very um, obvious uh, place to start is actually to to harness their uh, their knowledge, uh, harness their skills, uh, harness their interests, because they'll know where they can get the information from. Yeah. Um, it's, this A lot of this is part of, this is part of where do I get information from? Where do I actually get the tools and, and the resources um, to actually do, to do this work. And I have that within my own, own organization. It's like, I don't know where I can find this and I'll give this to a younger member of their team and they'll come back to me at the end of the day with all the stuff. And I'm like, oh, great, yeah. let's move on. Um, so I think that's that's part of it um, is is being able to broaden the organization, bring, develop and, and broaden the conversation. Um, one of the key, most successful um uh, organizations when it comes to issues around say human rights violations is where they do have a designated working group um, of people who are actually assigned resourced um, and and equipped to actually do to actually do the work uh, for the organization and and drive the conversation so you need organizations need like a, an ambassador like a um, a champion or uh, within the organization who, who can actually drive the conversation um, and and see how it can integrate into different functions and divisions within within that organization. So I think that's probably where it, it needs to work, where it doesn't work and where I haven't seen good practice in terms of where I'm working with is where it's it, it basically becomes a tick and flick. It's like we've just got to throw a statement together and uh, we, you know, you know it's, oh, it's June 30, we need to have a statement, you know, um, and there is really no functioning team to actually drive the implementation and therefore it just becomes oh look we just need to get this statement out um and and we don't really have any clear targets of what what we're going to do next so one of the the key components of the modern slavery act is this uh continuous improvement dynamic so you need to in 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 this in the same breath you need to first of all state what you're doing and then state what you're going to do next and then the next year you report on what the next was um, and how effective that was. Well, if you don't have the right mix of people in the team to actually help articulate what those next steps are and how we're going to actually do those steps and and measure the effectiveness of those steps, then you've got you don't have anything to report in the next year, and then that brings you back to a very minimal um, uh, action plan, um, which then lends itself to greenwashing because you're saying you're doing something and you care about modern slavery, but actually you have no clear strategy. To actually address this issue yep. um, and then yep. you find yourself un maybe unwittingly because you're so busy that actually we we don't really care we're just doing this 
it's just, just a tick and flick um, and it has no bearing on our organization and we don't have anyone assigned or sponsored within the organization to drive the implementation through the different aspects of the business. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I think it's interesting. Again, you've again going back to our group that we've got, you know, around about the business improvement, the continuous improvement, you know, the, the problem solving is 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 a lot of the business will have those type of skills already. Okay. Yep. It's just what they don't know is what the standard and what the gap is to then kick in the the the, the resulting actions at the end of the day. You know, and we always say, you know, unless at least, at least got a standard, at least know where where you're aiming for and then how you're performing then you know you've got a gap therefore i now know what i need to, or you make a choice because you don't tackle everything um but obviously you make a choice around doing it so you know most good leadership teams will have the type of skills to do this it's just opening up the conversation, conversation. to to start to have that can, can i just ask because it's a topic that i've been talking about the last couple of weeks uh and I, i'm assuming you've come across where does where does this fit in with things around the psychosocial hazards and all that's just going on at the minute because you know they talk about you know poor support low role character um, low role clarity you know poor workplace relationships bullying harassment remote or isolated work so is that something that again you feel is 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 a is another one that's going to support or is it suddenly going to be another tag where say, Oh, sorry, Stephen, I've got to talk about psychosocial now. I can't talk about, um, a lot of these just seem to be coming in twine. And my fear is about, we see it as five separate things. Hmm. Oh, um, very, they're very much integrated. So, yeah. um, we need to think, uh, if we wanted to think of building out from, from the interior to the exterior, um, we, what, how we think about our supply chain will very much, I think, mirror how we actually operate within the organization. So, yeah. you know, we need to attend. I mean, if you think, I'll just go the question around gender equality. Okay, well, the, 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 the largest group of people at risk of being exploited in forced labor or domestic servitude are women and girls. Okay, so uh, this is very much a gender issue. Like, mm. Addressing human rights violations on the whole is a gender issue so they're not separated um we that but that can all tie back into how um we we address those issues within the interior life of our organization um mm -hmm. and we can actually if we can get our house in order if you like and actually cultivate an environment where people are supported we where we do address those cycle so, so, social psycho issues where we do address issues of bullying harassment that there's no reason why that can't actually flow out from there flow out to actually having a much uh, um a much more integrated um and fairer approach to how we address uh the the broader ecosystem of our business so i think we need to yeah we definitely need to think uh and one of the things i do with my clients is uh, particularly when it comes to measuring impact you need to think about your ecosystem um you know a lot of organizations think you know well i just want to minimize the risk of slavery it's like yeah but you're so far removed from anyone who's actually exploited. That's not a clear target. Mm. So come back to where do you where do you operate? Where does your business operate in the ecosystem yeah. of you know? And who who is around you? Who are key your your competitors? Who could be your peers who might be able to support you? Uh, so that changes the dynamic. Who's above, below you, around you? Investors, tenants, and where how do you operate and therefore where can you actually leverage change where can you affect change and where can you get support to actually sh 
shape the culture um, and develop yep. the culture, both of the, yep. the operational life of your business and and the value chain of your of your business. Yep. So the conversations don't have to be separated. Um, yep. Coming back to that original conversation around that, we need to work out how we can integrate, have a framework which is integrating all those kind of dynamics, um, however, however small, but the conversation doesn't have to be divorced. Human rights is not out there. It's in here. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I like, again, the contextualized for your own business, your own environment, I think is, is something which has to be done and has to be important. Otherwise you do run the risk of tick and flick or just not, not in, not in my backyard or things like that. And I think, again, we go back to the leadership point of view. It's like good governance, you know, there's good systems, those good reporting systems, but then the leadership then has to say, well, now I know that, what does it really mean? You know, yeah. and, and where does that fit into my strategy or my plans? You know, even down to, like you say, a recruitment policy, you know, in terms of who, who our market is, is, is from there. So I think that there's definitely something around some of the core, you know, I think in a lot of good businesses, we've, we've, we've got the, we've got the core capability it's just about now getting the heads around contextualizing it and start to ask the right questions. Yeah. And taking those policies, you know, I mean, the, the risk with the policy is that it just sits on someone's file and no one looks at it. Right. Yeah. So effective policy development is where there's, there's a socialization or an integration into, into the business. So there's a training capacity building components so that people actually know how to actually implement the policy. So there's procedures and checklists and there's, and then there's a feedback loop. Um, so that people can actually respond to the policy and and work towards continuous improvement. So policy, so even just on that point of governance, it's not like, right, we've got this policy in place and that's it, it's, that's the standard. It actually, we need to integrate into all those kind of things, a, a conversation so that uh, we're continually improving upon what we have. Um, and and, and there's, there's people are, are, are buying in to the decision-making and, and to the standards that we're actually setting. Yep. There, there's, there's a capacity and capability issue here, Stephen, that is screaming out at me um, now that we're almost um, an hour into the conversation that um, I get where you're coming from. I, I didn't, I wasn't as schooled up as I probably should have been on this. And I've, I've now I will do my own reading when we get off this uh, <laughs> call, because I've got probably more questions and um, we've got time to deal with here. But one thing I see here is that um, the larger corporates, the bigger businesses that have got the people capacity to do this are going to adapt a lot quicker and a lot better because they've got that capacity in the business. And then you talk about, capability and I think this one around leadership and Kevin's come back to this a couple of times is some big businesses are governed by boards and then CEOs GMs and big leadership teams but a lot of the businesses I've dealt with and Kevin deals with in the network are not in that league not that they don't want to be but they don't have those capabilities in-house so you might be talking a very small team no no governance board to speak of so um, how this gets more fully rolled out um, gets nuanced and um, I think there's a, a very big space here for people to come in and develop checklist processes that are aimed at different size businesses in different industries because this, this will get more nuanced depending on your industry as well that's not to say nothing should be done about it, or at least a conversation not had but this um yeah, this is a, a lot more bloody complicated than uh, I first thought gentlemen uh, and it, and I guess, when and I, I would hate this to be the case, but industries don't react well when you come in with forced legislation because then you'll end up in 
the situation that you talked about, about a tick and flick exercise and poor planning. Now, to be honest, uh, the planning process we have already in other areas is not great in some businesses. So add this on top. It's not going to get any better if you don't know how to integrate your people to push things forward. And that then really does come back to what's your capacity in your business to do any of this. Look, look, I think, you know, you might think, yeah, a, a larger organization has the capacity to simply just augment um, their existing risk management framework or um, uh, their governance structure. Okay, there's, that, that's, that's, that's fine. But that doesn't mean that, um, that developing the, a change in culture is going to happen e any more easily um, than a smaller organization. I think actually it's probably the reverse. It probably is easier with a smaller organization to actually change the culture of how you're doing things than a larger one because it's there's a lot of baggage. And oh yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be <laughs> you know, any easier. You, can, I you, think... can, you might, you might, you might be able to make things look really good and have a very slick, sophisticated. Uh, reporting structure you might you know we've got a whole page on sustainability and look at all our targets that doesn't yeah. net that does not necessarily reflect the reality of what's going on within that organization i can yeah. assure you as you know yeah. sure i, I completely <laughs> understood yes yes all right so i think we're, we're let's let's start to to bring this together and i think it's as as normal eric this is one of the, these podcasts lead we could lead to a whole bunch of different topics and i think we were i don't think this is going to be the last time we're going to be talking to you Stephen, about what well, uh, we could just about, roll out a series if you've got more questions we'll no just... exactly right we'll, 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 we'll see what feedback we get and, and everything else but i think you know a couple of things for me it's about obviously there is awareness of what the uh you know of the topic we're talking about, you know, in terms of um, what the impact is, I think there's the relevance back into, you know, how do we, how do we just to start to have that conversation now, you know, and you don't have to create something new, you know, they can just ask a couple of questions and maybe the B Corp, you know, is it something that just starts to ask, ask the questions. But I, I think as a, you know, a takeaway is, is as businesses, especially we've got to contextualize this is about where's the risk, where's the impact, you know, I've got to make I've got to make a start now. Um, and and especially if this could be an opportunity, you know, the, it's easy to see this as a risk, therefore a threat. Yeah, but it could also be an opportunity. So, you know, you've got to look at these things as leadership teams and say, well, I know it's sitting there, but, you know, let's let's be the half glass full here and say this actually could be a great opportunity for us. Um, and like you say, there might be some people in the business who've got a passion for this or have got a, a dent. Sometimes there's great good news out of these things that if we don't ask the questions, we never get to hear about, you know, ever, ever the optimist, Mr. Uh, Mr. Always Man. the optimist, <laughs> always the, the optimist, but going for, back to the challenge is an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Challenge and opportunity. Always <laughs> something that we can always look at opportunities. So, um, but let, let's go back just to close that. We really like to do this. And again, this is Eric. I know, you know, you're and in terms of the podcast we've done. So from a leadership perspective, Stephen, so let's just, and I'm very happy to, you know, take this back to, to the topic. So, you know, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a business leader here and whether it's a small business or, or, or large business is, What's the sort of things that, you know, from a leadership perspective, we, we, whether it's around this topic or, or or generally, what's just those couple of tips about, you know, this is things that start to think about what you need to just start to be doing now and start to, to, to get on to the agenda. So what would be your, your top three tips in terms of from a leadership perspective now taking it to the next level? 
Sure. Well, I think uh, we need to come back to our, you know, our overall business plan and strategy. And uh, part of that conversation is a workout, you know, who, who, who are we as an organization and where do we want to be in the next five to 10 years? Uh, and what kind of, what are our key, what do we want to be about um, as an organization? What do we want to be known for? So I think that part of, yeah, it's just come back. Let's just come back to the real basics, the real sort of heart of who we are as an organization. And in the process of that, then to second point is to bring then uh, people into that conversation um, to start thinking through how we can integrate, um, you know, uh, the ESG dynamic into the DNA, um, just uh, yeah. uh, kind of part of my um keynote conversation how do we um embed the D esg into the dna of our organization um and then i think from there is to then identify um according to who we are as a company uh where we can actually start um yeah um uh, augmenting or or um, adopting changes into our existing framework so as you say you know we don't want to you don't need to reinvent the wheel you just need to actually build on your own current capabilities and current structures and perhaps where there might be some gaps. So you could do a gaps analysis. Where are some very obvious gaps? Uh, things really quick, um, really low hanging fruits um, that we can actually quickly do to actually get a, a better um, operational framework in place. Uh, and policies could be a very key one and procedures and checklists uh, and, and um, yeah, procedures especially um, to actually look at them and, and quickly work out, okay, well, this is what we're going to focus on in the next six to 12 months. We're going to actually just build out our policy portfolio to actually make sure that we've got a more robust. Um, so I think it's really about working out, yeah, coming back to the basics, integrating people in, setting some very clear goals of what you should, where you want to be um, and where perhaps you want to make, where where you want to make an impact in your local community, you know, because that's a key thing. Um, how can we actually yeah, where are, where are we in the in our environment, and where could we actually form some partnerships in that space? Um, but then work out, yeah, what are, what are what are the low hanging fruit um, that we can actually do in the short term, whilst we're actually building out um, some key uh, strategies around the environment or um, diversity and inclusion or human rights or wanted slavery over the long term. Um, I think there's some key things. So it's really coming back to yeah. reframing. Um, the conversation of who we are as an organization and where we want to be and who's going to be part of that journey. And in that process, you can then cultivate um, a, a change and affect change within the organization and stimulate um, people within the organization to have a much clearer vision and purpose for who you are and what they're actually part of. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And I think there's even just from a start in the modern slavery discussion but i i actually quite like i'm sitting here thinking that's just a great little takeaway for anything we're challenging and whether you're a startup you could be just going through what you said before you know whether you're an existing business or you're looking to change so some some great tips there in terms of just bringing it all together have the conversation finding out where where you're playing and and, and obviously trying to get that conversation going so yeah obviously we would encourage people to to, to learn more um, but I think you could use that for that topic. But I think what you've just summarized there and will be recorded, which is great, is something that businesses could just be generally doing more and more of and having those discussions and building up that leadership capacity and capability. If it's on the if you're having discussions now, it's not such a shock or, or a surprise. So I think that's a fantastic one, Stephen, to, uh, to close off from, from that point of view. Eric, any last perspectives on um, on your what? takeaways from today in in a more um 
general sense, maybe macro look at this from, uh, I'm just coming at this from a leader perspective, uh, Kevin and Stephen is is more about how do leaders implement and have difficult conversations around topics that people really may have never engaged with or to build understanding on a topic area like this. And I, th I think for lots of businesses that you deal with, Kevin, that I deal with, this will be a first uh, conversation around this. And so how do you broach the topic? And for those in, in many of our businesses that will be hard-nosed around or what's in it for me, discussion and trying to understand what are the business benefits here and um, why have the conversation at all um, because I, I did use the term at the start of the podcast reputational risk risks in general these are things that are front and center in most leaders minds in their businesses of whatever kind and I think the conversation can be turned around to outside of the profit motive for being in business which you know let's face it we're all in to make some money, money here, no one's doing this for free, is what is the social element of our responsibilities there over and above the environmental stuff, which is all critical stuff. If if you're uh, um, understanding and engaging things like ESG, for example, and yeah, I think it's a nuanced conversation from a leadership point of view and, and one that is necessary to keep um, keep having. So that would be my takeaway, gentlemen. Yeah, no, fantastic. It's a great one. It's a great one. Well, Stephen, can I thank you very much? So, like I say, we we have caught up a couple of times before, um, but um, it's been fantastic just to really talk around this um, the, this whole topic. And I'm hoping it's really stimulated some thought and 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 some discussions around how some of our leadership and and our businesses. And I'm um, I'm pretty certain that uh, we will have you back again um, in terms of the context of, of where we've been talking about. And uh, hoping, I think, you know, we'll either through Eric's context or through the best practice network, we can we can get some more engaging conversations going from there. So so Stephen, thank you very much for your time. It is it is greatly appreciated. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, uh, Kevin. It's uh, been a pleasure. Um it's I'm pleased that I've uh, just opened up your your minds to a thousand questions. So uh very much happy to and look forward to continuing the conversation. It's been a pleasure. Great. No, it's been, been our it's been our pleasure, and I love it when uh, I can see Eric's mind going bang. <laughs> yes, well, I can see that too. It's kind of like I can see. <laughs> I, that I think I think that's great. I think that's great. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to thank everybody for uh, for being involved in this one, and obviously for listening to another Talking Leadership Best Practice Network podcast. Uh, we love your feedback on this one. It will be published very very soon. And I think for us, Eric, if anyone is out there who wants to be involved, or anyone who has a topic they want to discuss, then uh, you know find us out on. LinkedIn and we'll be happy to have a conversation with you. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast. I'd like to thank my co-host Kevin Bennett from the Best Practice Network for his time and insights. And as always, we'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Stephen Morse, for sharing his insights on the topic of modern slavery. On Monday, the 10th of July, we head back to Talking Leadership TV and the leadership pathway of Dr. Karuna Ramanathan. Hope you can join us then. Take care and we'll catch you on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.